Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Amen. It concerns the text that Sean has just read. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Just keep your Bibles open to it. Amen. Jehoshaphat was surrounded by a three-pronged enemy. It was an alliance of three distinct nations that came up against him. Recall he was the king of Judah in the south. By this stage, there were two kingdoms. There was the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south. Israel as a nation was divided or split into two. And what was known as Israel was actually the northern part And the southern part was Judah. Um, King Ahab, at this point in time, was king of Israel. And Jehoshaphat was king of Judah in the the south. Most of Israel's kings were wicked kings. Most of Judah's kings were godly kings. Jehoshaphat, being a king of the south, king of Judah, um, was a very godly king to a large degree. He made some serious blunders, however. He made some serious mistakes throughout his reign. If you read from Second Chronicles chapter 17, when he starts his reign, up to the end of chapter 21, you will discover he has some highs, he has some lows. Um, but generally, he seems to have a soft heart towards the, towards the things of God. And probably next week, we will extend this and look at some of the pitfalls within his reign lessons for us to learn so that we don't fall into the same trap and um, fall in, in areas where he has fallen. The scripture says all things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our learning so that we, through their example and through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. We must not err or where, the, where they have erred, okay? But we must learn from their mistakes so that we in our time um, could live upright lives before the Lord. But let me get straight to the context. The context of Second Chronicles is um, he is faced with a formidable enemy. The Bible calls it a great multitude, meaning great, meaning insurmountable, a horde, a three-pronged alliance of formidable foes, each in their own right, are formidable, but now three of them combined, Jehoshaphat seems at a loss to, to face up to the enemy that is mounting up against him. They were the people of Moab, the people of Ammon, and the people of Mount Seir, which is basically the Edomites whose father was Esau or Esau, right? And so these three enemies come against this godly king, and all hope is lost as it were. It seems to be a losing battle. In verse 3 of Second Chronicles 20, it reads like this. Jehoshaphat was afraid. Everyone say he was afraid. Right? He was afraid and he turned his attention to seek the Lord and to proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. Verse 4. 
So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord, and they even came from the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Right? Now, the NASB says, is this the NASB? It is here. To turn, just read verse 3 again. It says, Jehoshaphat was afraid, and what did he do? He turned his attention to seek the Lord. I like that phrase in that verse, to turn one's attention to seek the Lord. Okay? When you don't know what to do, seek the Lord. When you are at a loss and seem helpless against a formidable enemy, learn how to turn away from the fight and let your gaze, let your focus, let all of your senses be saturated with all that God is. Take your, take your eyes off the problem. Take your eyes off the battle. Take your eyes off the enemy and deliberately and consciously fill your perception and your mindset, your eyes. Fill that with the Lord. A fast does just that. When you fast, you withhold food from the, the body. And Psalm says, when we fast, we humble our souls. Not so? We bring humility to ourselves. We humble the soul so that the spirit man could be accentuated. Our spirit, which we are, we are spirit, soul, and body, but we are more spirit than anything else. And the spirit man must lead. In a fast, withholding food from the body is intent on humbling the soul so that the spirit man's senses could be amplified. Right? So we want the spirit man to be accentuated. We've got to be vigilant in the spirit. Withholding food from the body, we say no to the flesh. I'm not eating because my soul, which is my mind, my will, and my emotions, needs to be humbled or bow in submission to the leading of my spirit whose senses have become amplified or accentuated in my fast. Why? Because my entire focus now is not earthly or earthy. It's heavenward. When you pray and fast, you're looking unto the Lord. Right? You're looking unto the Lord. The song we sang a moment ago, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. It's a matter of where you are looking, where you are faced with problems. What is your, where is the focus of your sight? Where is the focus of your attention that is the critical issue? In a fast, you should not be so um, sidetracked by the daily routine of life, even if you are working and you have to go to work. And yes, you are faithful there and you are very engaged and you are very involved. I'm not talking about that. In a fast, you could have an ordinary day at work, but inwardly, your cry and your poise, your focus is always on the, on the Lord. You must conscientize your mind to always do that in a fast. You must say, I need to deliberately take my eyes off normality, the normal routine of a day, and I need to cast my attention to the Lord. I often said in the series of fasting, when you fast, it cannot be business as usual. If it is business as usual, and all you're doing is simply not eating, 
Hence, you say I'm fasting. It's not really a biblical fast in the true sense. He who fasts must give himself more concentratedly to prayer and Bible reading. Why? Those two expressions of life are our way of turning our attention to the to the Lord. Amen? Tell your neighbor, turn unto the Lord. Turn unto the Lord. In verse 12, he says the following. O our God, will you not judge them? We are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against, who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Right? This is the most encouraging verse in this passage. He's at a loss for strategy. He knows battle strategy. He's a king of war. He has a history of war from previous kings, especially from David, in whose ways he walked. Right? So he's at not at a loss in terms of proven strategies that we could employ to get victory. But he realizes very, very quickly, everything I know in my time and in the time of all the history of the kings before me is not going to work in this instance. I need something fresh. I need a new battle strategy. It's very dangerous to employ past strategies for present battles simply because they worked in the past. What you have to do is, you have to consistently hear the Lord, right? Remember once David went up against the Philistines, and the Lord gave him great victory. The Bible says, and the Philistines came up against him again. And the Bible says, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up against them? Right? He did not simply assume that because I went them went up against them by God's permission the first time with a specific strategy that God gave me victory. Now, hence, I must do the same. Now, he did not assume that, right? Sometimes you can operate on automatic or, on, or, or routinely based on prior victory when God is calling for you in the present season to adopt a different strategy. And then the Bible says, and he inquired of the Lord, shall I go up against them? And how shall I go up? Right? And God says, yes, go up against them, but don't go up by the way you went the previous time. Go wait. I won't go through the details of the story, but go wait, and uh, etc. And the moment you hear the sound and the rustle in the mulberry trees, you know the Lord has given you the victory. It's time to attack. Right? So he did not presuppose that what worked previously is going to work. Now he waited for a new strategy. This is what has come up the second time now. Remember in Esther's fast. Esther fasted for how many days? Four? For three days. And remember she fasted her and her maidens and all the Jews in all of the 127 provinces controlled by the Persians. All of them fasted. And Esther approached the king. They fasted for three days before she did. Right? And I, I believe that by the third day, she went in with a strategy. The king asked her, ask me anything you would. Up to half the kingdom, I will, I will give you. The Bible says, and she did not answer him. She says, call a banquet or feast tomorrow and I will tell you. This girl is strategic and she has strategy. 
she does not simply dive in to make the request, right? She's very patient, and she has a particular plan in her mind. Now, I believe this is a season for strategy. Everyone say strategize. When you fast, one of the principles we learn from this fast is that God is able to give you a strategy against something that's about to destroy you. God can give you a plan. And I don't know what plan you need for, for what battle you are facing. All I know, the word of the Lord for you today is fast. And God, God says to you, I will reveal to you a plan. I will show you a way. Amen. I'm going to fast two days in this week. I hope by now I don't have to summons you to fasting that you will automatically do it when you perceive um, certain things are serious. Right? Um, so I want to encourage you. There are certain strategies we need. And for two days in this coming week, my family and I are going to fast for strategy concerning specific things. Amen? Tell your neighbor God has a plan. And he longs to show it to you. He longs to show it to you. Right? No matter what is um, causing a roadblock in your path, in terms of progress with anything, I believe God wants to unveil to us a plan, a strategy. Right? He says, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon you. Tell your neighbor, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon the Lord. So in the far, what a fast does is, takes you away from where your eyes are. And the fast redirects your eyes. He says he turned his attention to seek, to seek the Lord. And I know in this season that God is calling us to really search after him with all of our hearts. Uh, throughout this trip, in the three conferences that we've been to, it was very busy, it was very involved. Um, but I kept as a testimony trying to encourage the guys that we were with, say this to them. Every morning I would get up at 5 o'clock and kneel before the Lord and seek God. Right? To say that God direct our steps today. Give us the right words to say. Let us speak as we, as we ought to speak. May we only represent you accurately and never ever represent you inaccurately in what we say and what we do. What I found myself doing, uh, because it's now with regularity that we do this, it's becoming... Um, prioritized time. It's like non-negotiable to me. I do that or I die. If I don't seek God, then what's the point carrying on? And I want to encourage us all to seek God. Tell you ever seek Him. You see, it's the hidden life because Esther means hidden. Not so? It's the hidden life, the private life that God is putting the focus on right now. And I want to encourage you, develop your devotional life. Develop your private search after God. Nobody need know about it. I simply declare it because I'm a leader and I want to cajole and encourage others to do that. No one ever need find out about it, but it's your private life that will give you public success. It's what you do privately that will give you success outwardly. Amen? So I want to encourage you, develop young people, develop a strong prayer life, privately and personally after God. Amen? And in fasting and prayer, what we do is we turn our attention and our eyes are upon the Lord. Note the following scriptures. 
Ask your neighbor, where are your eyes? Right? Psalm 25 and verse 15 says the following. Psalm 25 and verse 15. It says, my eyes are continually toward the Lord, for he plucked my feet out of the net. The net there is a trap, literally a trap. It's something designed to, to trip you up. And the psalmist says very powerfully here, I, my eyes are continually toward the Lord, and God is able to rescue me or pluck my feet out of the snare or the trap that men set for me. You will escape many traps if you keep your eyes focused in the right, in, uh, on the right object, which it should be God. Amen? And I want to encourage you, I just perceived, even while I was in the color, there are many, many schemes of men against us, against this house. Even right now, there are many plots and plans and words spoken. But I want to assure you, no weapon that is formed against us will prosper. And even the evil intent designed for our destruction, God will turn. Like he saved Mordecai. Right? And Haman's uh, gallows that Haman built to hang Mordecai, he is destroyed on the same structures that he built to destroy a son of God. Amen? So I declare to you the structures that, and the plans that the enemy designs against you Little does he know, he's actually designing it for his own destruction. God turns things. Tell you never, God turns things, right? God, God turns things. In Psalm 123, quickly, Psalm 123, verse 1 and 2, it says the following. To you I lift up my eyes, you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master... And as the eyes of the maidservant to the hand of their mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord until He has mercy on us. Amen? I look to you who is enthroned in the heavens. I look to an enthroned king. My view of God is that He is not weak, but He is powerful. He sits enthroned. He sits in a position of great Authority with great capacity to, to do. And he says, Behold, as the servants look on the hand of their masters, and the eyes of the maids look on the hand of their mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until He is gracious toward us. As servants' eyes gaze on the hands of their masters, so my eyes upon the hands of my God. What do hands suggest? Function, the execution of purpose. The Bible says the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. In this season, what I want to encourage you to focus on, focus on um, God's intent to work mighty wonders for you in the present season. This is not like a Pentecostal charismatic word of encouragement. I feel this prophetically, an apostolic imperative that position yourself to be the recipient of of the great doings of the Lord, because His hand is going to do mighty things for us. But your eyes need to be on it. If your eyes are not in the right place, you will not observe what He's about to do with His hands. It's about where your focus is. So tell your neighbor, don't look at the wrong things now. Right? You see, for some of us, 
if we look at our lack, we get depressed. If we look at relational tension in maybe some relationships, we get depressed. If we look at the backbiting and the unforgiveness of some people, we get depressed. Take your eye off anything earthly and natural and re-divert your attention. Focus it on the hands of the Lord like a servant's eyes gaze on the hands of their master. So our eyes are upon you. And it says, because he is about to do graciously. Everyone say, he's about to do graciously. So I want to encourage you, uh, just adopt like an expectation, a posture that God is about to prove himself strong in my life. In Second Chronicles 16 and verse 9, I think it is. It says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro over the face of the whole earth. There's it. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he might strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. Amen? Tell your neighbor, is your heart his? Your eyes have got to be not only on his hands, but on what his eyes are doing. His eyes are running to and fro to show himself strong, whose hearts are completely his, or whose hearts are perfect towards him, some versions say. Amen? So look to the Lord. I don't know what this means to you this week. I don't know what you, how you're going to interpret this word for this week. I don't know what you're going to do privately to say um, to yourself or maybe to your spouse. Let's, guys, let's turn to see God. Let's read more. Let's pray more. Maybe pray as a couple or pray more privately. What are we going to deliberately do to take our eyes off our situation and redirect them to the Lord? Psalm 141 quickly. Psalm 141 and verse 8 to 10. It says the following, But my eyes are toward you, O Lord, O God my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. I like this. You can, you can apply this to Jehoshaphat, right? Because he seems like he's defenseless now. He says, my eyes are upon you. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon you. I'm right now defenseless. I feel vulnerable. I feel my life's going to be taken out. I feel that we're going to, our welfare, our preservation, our, our, our general well-being as a family or as a person is about to be taken out. It says here, um, for my eyes are toward you, O God. The Lord, in you I take refuge. Do not leave me defenseless. It's a good prayer to make when you feel entrapped or ambushed and beset by enemies greater than yourself. Say, Lord, I'm not going to look at them and focus upon them. I'm going to focus upon you so that, and my prayer to you is, do not leave me defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me, the next verse. And from the snares of evildoers, let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. I like this. They have designed nets for me. Let them fall into their own nets. Let Haman fall into his own trap while I pass by safely. Affirm your neighbor. You're going to pass by safely. You're going to pass by safely. No weapon formed against you will will prosper. Amen? No weapon formed against you will prosper. You can take as a reference a lobby, won't read it because of time. Another good psalm is 
Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. For where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Notice God's credentials who is going to help you. What's God's CV? Is God eligible to help you, small little you here in Durban, South Africa? He says, yes, I'm able to help. Check what I did. I made everything. I made heaven and earth. Can't I not help you in your small little situation? The maker of the heavens and earth is my help. It shows the magnitude of our of our God. It says he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will never slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. I like this. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and for evermore. I don't want anyone after this meeting ever to feel threatened again. If you meditate upon these scriptures, you will walk in life with a sense of confidence, assurance. You are God's son. God is my father. There's nothing untoward that can ever happen to me except by his permittance for a very specific purpose. I am protected consistently every single day. Right? The sun will not strike me by day. The moon will not strike me by night. The Lord will keep me from all evil. He will keep my life. He will keep my going out. And He will keep my my coming in. Amen. This is a very secure place in the Lord. Amen. With all the threats of reactive xenophobic attacks that we've been exposed to in Zimbabwe now and in Mozambique, we were there. Uh, We were very assured that wherever we go, God will protect us. Why? If you live life with a sense of fear, your fear gives power to the thing that you fear. Job said this, the thing that I feared the most has come upon me. So whatever thing you fear in your mind, you empower it to give expression in your life. So I want to encourage you, tell your neighbor, do not fear. In fact, this was the first thing that he said to Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, if you're going to get out of this one, first words out of the mouth of the prophet, do not fear, Jehoshaphat. Because the Bible says he was very afraid. With a king to be dismayed and be afraid is serious. Because he indicates how his entire realm would feel. Not so? So he was afraid, and the Bible says he turned his attention to the Lord. So, you know, if you focus on the dread that is standing in front of you, you empower fear and you give it amplitude or latitude or empowerment in your life. What you look at either produces faith or fear. Fear is the opposite of Fear is the opposite of faith. Not so? Right? So in verse 15, he is told, Do not fear because of this great multitude, because the battle is not yours, but the battle belongs to the Lord. Or the battle is, the battle is God's. Fear is a very real emotion. 
In fact, it's not simply an emotion. It's a spirit. For God has not given us the spirit of fear. There's a demonic entity called fear. A demonic principality whose work it is, is to instill fear in the hearts of all people. Particularly the people of God. The enemy knows if you function in fear, you are neutralized to do anything in faith. Faith is the opposite of of fear. If you maintain fear's presence and you accommodate fear in your world, faith leaves. Right? Faith leaves. Sight. What are you looking at? Everyone say sight. That is why he says encouraged, don't fear. He turned his attention to seek the Lord. If he focused on the three-pronged alliance, fear would have grown. But in redirecting his attention, not to focus on the problem, but to focus on the Lord, what happens? Faith is built up. An encouraging word comes, do not fear, neither be, neither be dismayed. Do you remember the ten spies who were sent to spy the Israel? Right? There were twelve sent, but ten came back with a negative report. Only Joshua and Caleb came back with a positive report. The ten spies who negatively reported on the land said the following. We are not able to go up, go in, and possess the land. And they make this statement. For we are like grasshoppers in our sight. Therefore, we are grasshoppers in their sight. Notice. The enemy did not see them as grasshoppers. They saw themselves as grasshoppers, the Bible says, in their sight first. Therefore, they conclude we must be grasshoppers in the enemy's sight concerning us. Your view, I always say this, your view of yourself becomes what you, will, what you perceive to be your enemy's view of you. And if you think your enemy thinks of you smaller than what you are, you will never rise up in faith to pursue the purposes of God. You always diminish yourself and think of yourself lesser than what God made you to be. Amen? I tell you, never, you're not, you are no grasshopper. Amen? No grasshopper. Tell someone next to you, not a grasshopper. I want to make the statement again. Please hear with the Spirit. They are saying, we are like grasshoppers in our sight. So what, there's the, self-concept. Their view, the sight of themselves was less than what God had determined for them. When that reality became predominant, it conditioned their view of the enemy and what they, they thought the enemy thought of them. Hmm? That's why Sean said David ran to the battle. Didn't walk to Goliath, he ran to him. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Right? Today your head is coming off. Little man, small David, big Goliath, he did not magnify, watch, he did not magnify the bigness of his problem to produce fear in his sight. He said to him, you come to me with spear and sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. David's worldview, David's sight was God. And when your perspective is God, God will diminish any problem in front of you. Don't amplify the problem, amplify God. If your sight is always upon the Lord, the problem will diminish in strength before you. And with faith you will arise 
to approach it. Amen? So tell your neighbor you can. Now, let me just say this. What revealed all of the strategy was firstly that he fasted. There's great strategy, which I probably won't get through all of it today. There's great strategy revealed in this passage concerning a three-pronged, three, there was Moab, Ammon, and the Edomites, people of Mount Seir. Three formidable enemies against this man. You know the number three, what does it indicate? Completeness. All numbers have spiritual significance in the Bible. The number three indicates that it is complete. Uh, E.W. Bullinger in his book, Numbers in Scripture, also says this about the number three. He said, three indicates that which is substantial. Um, it's, not, it's not flimsy, it's not weak, it's solid. That's why in the Godhead there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons in one. Something complete, something solid, something substantial. So when we read three enemies are coming against this one man, what you must know, this is a formidable, substantial, it's like there can never ever be a more complete enemy like this. Have you ever been in that place in your life? When it feels like the enemy has, has, has mounted up against you. And now the enemy is maturing against you. It's like in the past you felt, oh, he's come, I can deal with him, no problem. He come again, I can deal with him, no problem. But there are sometimes you feel like this in your life when, sure, God. And who knows, you know, I don't know if you've experienced this. The moment you dealt with one issue, sorted, something else comes up from nowhere. From a source you would never even have thought about. You would not even have guessed, no, not that one, not that circumstance. Then it's this. But there are times when there comes a multitude of attacks, not separately, all simultaneously. And you feel hopeless to deal with it. Why? Yes, maybe if it was just a financial attack, I could have dealt with it. Maybe if it was a financial attack only and my marriage was intact, together we could deal with that one. But when it's that one, plus we're having issues, yeah, then it's that and this. And noch al, my kid is playing up. I must focus on that. Then I go to work, and there's this colleague that derides, that gives me the hibbie-jibbies, what they say, the, that, that riles me. Right? It's like multiple attacks all simultaneously coming to really finish every aspect of you. If you haven't been there, then please listen to this message because one day you're going to come there. Okay. <laughs> it's like, I don't have one issue to deal with. It's like multiplex is the only word I can think of. Multiple. Complex. Right? If it were just one of them, I'm sure Jehoshaphat's stance would have been different. But now he realizes complete enemy is going to rout me. Please, brethren, listen to me carefully. He decides to fast. Everyone say he fasted. You see, these strategies are revealed from the context of one who is fasting. Nothing would be revealed to the man if he did not humble himself, turn his eyes toward the Lord. Some of you are going to leave this meeting with a false hope, saying, yes, the word, the word, the word said this, I'm the God. But I want to encourage you to seek the Lord for yourself. 
in your private time in God. Because we are all facing different issues here. And God wants to give you a unique strategy for, for your world. Amen? For your life. The strategy here, which I believe is applicable to any situation, number one is do not fear. Tell your never no more fear. Right? Do not, do not fear. Secondly, the strategy is in verse, further amplified in verse 17. Verse 17. You do not need to fight this battle. Station yourself. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out to face them. The Lord is with you. Very powerful, encouraging words, eh? Um, there's a, just firstly, everyone say station. Tell them to stand. See. That's a very good strategy. Station, stand, and see. Please listen carefully. The word station in the Hebrew means the following. To place or to set. Some versions actually, maybe you have a version thinking James says, set yourself. So it's place yourself strategically. Right? Station yourself, set yourself, or present yourself. In other words, what he is saying is, just watch, do not retreat. Now is not the time to go into hiding. You need to face up to your problems. Later you would say, go down and face them. Right? Can you see that do not fear? Do not be afraid. Tomorrow go out and face them. Tell your neighbor some problems you can't hide from. Right? This one you got to face. In other words, you've got to confront this thing because it's not going to go away. Right? You've got to deal with this thing. God says, in your dealing with it, I'm gonna, I will be with you. I will be your empowerment. But in your stationing. Stationing is like, it's not arrogance. But it's like, yes, I want to deal with this. But it's not with an arrogant, prideful, self-confident position. It's just a position of robust, raw confidence in God. That He, through you, is able to, to handle this. Okay, So you ought not to be unstationed. You need to be stationed. You ought not to be unseated. You need to be set. Don't lose your standing is the idea here. Don't lose your your positioning. Okay? So I want to encourage you. Don't lose your feet. You know what uh, David said many times? My feet had almost nigh slipped when when the enemy came. In other words, he was going to lose his steadfast position. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians. Right? Stand therefore. Remember? So you station yourself means prepare to engage it. Then it says stand and see. Right? The word stand in the Hebrew is amad. It literally means arise. Stand upright. So the impression of this word is the person was either sitting or lying down. That denotes casual indifference. Stand. So tell your neighbor like the stand. Like you're commanding them, stand. Right? Now, standing means have an erect position within your inner man. Don't be, don't be lulled into passivity regarding this. 
God is saying to Jehoshaphat, I'm going to help you, guy. Don't think. Yes, the battle is the Lord. He would say that. I will fight for you. But I do expect a specific posture from you for you to activate my warfaring on your behalf. Right? So he says, station yourself. Then he says, stand. Stand upright. The word also means this. Everyone say amad. That's a Hebrew word. It not only means stand erect, but it means cease from moving and doing. Cease from, from being busy. Cease from anxiously trying to solve it in your own strength. Cease from anxious activity. Cease from running to and fro, trying to bring resolution to this matter in your, in your own strength. You know, there are times you simply have to be abandoned to the Lord and say, God, if I run around in my own strength with this one, there's nothing that's ever going to work out here. No, I don't see any solution. I need supernatural intervention for this one. Left to myself with all my hithering and dithering. Hither and thither. To and fro. Moving and running around trying to bring solution. I will simply probably make the matter worse. I really need you to come through. So what do I do? I will station. Please remember, standing is not inactivity. When we say stop moving around, it doesn't suggest, yes, in the, in the strictest meaning of the word, it suggests a cessation of frenetic, anxious activity. But to stand doesn't indicate passivity. Passivity is something different. Standing indicates I am going to cease from doing it in my own strength and I'm going to endure. The word also means to endure. So I will endure this stand and I will trust God to work in and through His plan and purposes to bring a solution to this one. Right? Remember what? Remember, I want to keep reminding you of this. He says, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon you. The word comes to him do not fear, station yourself. So this week, guess what I'm going to be doing? My eyes will be Godward. I'll be stationing myself in prayer. And I will be standing erect. If I have any a casual, let me see how this will work out, casual, indifferent thing, I'll say, cancel that spirit, cancel that mindset. I'm going to take my place and stand upright and endure. Yes. Tell your neighbor, endure. endure. The word also means to endure. It means, the word endure means stand up under pressure. Right? Stand up under the pressure. Tell your neighbor, you won't crack. You won't crack. I declare unto you, you can and you are able to endure this. None of you are going to crack here. We, need, we don't have any crack pots in the house. <laughs> okay. None of us will crack. I declare that to you purposefully. I'm not just trying to encourage you. By my declaration, by my utterance, I'm configuring the atmosphere of this house. In this place, there'll be not one that buckles under pressure. No matter what comes to bro be brought to bear upon you, you will have the capacity to stand up under it. The Greek word endure is hupomano. Any word hupo means go under and stand up under the pressure. The thing is designed to crush you, but you will stand up under it. Okay? So tell your neighbor, just do this. <laughs> okay? Stand up. Be strong, no matter what you're going through. Okay? This is not going to defeat you. 
Then he says, see. See the salvation of the Lord. The word see is the Hebrew word ra'ah. R-A-A-H. R-A apostrophe A-H. Ra'ah. See the salvation of the Lord. And the see here means to look at. Look at, yes, see. It means to have vision. Or it means to perceive. Right? Tell your neighbor, perceive. Right? Just quickly, I don't time, I want to explain this fully because of time. The word salvation in, in the text is the word Yeshua, which comes from the root Yesha. And it means not salvation as in you're saved from hell to go to heaven. Right? Are you saved? Yes. Yes or no? Yes. Do we have salvation? Yes. Are we going to heaven when we die? Yes. We are sons of God. Now, this salvation is not talking about that. Your concept of salvation, if it's purely being saved from hell to go to heaven, you will never ever enter into the fullness of what God's salvation really means for for all of us. God's salvation in its entirety is to develop the fullness of the stature of His Son in every single one of us. Sonship has got to be, has got to be developed in absolute strength and maturity in every single one of us. This word, Yeshua, or Hesha, literally means deliverance, welfare, victory, and even prosperity. Right? Its root meaning, the root of this, means to save or to, to remove or seek to remove from somebody a burden. Who needs some burdens removed? Right? This word yesha, in its root meaning, to remove the burden or the weight of oppression from, from, from someone. It highlights whenever it is used in the Bible. In reference to God, it always amplifies God's judicial or military powers. So it activates God as a man of war to do battle on, on your behalf, right? It's always got that nuance whenever it is used in the scripture. In its basic etymology, right down to its, its, its the words from which it was derived, it means the following. To throw things wide open or to be free so that the person is not cramped. So, tell your neighbor this, your cramped days are over. This word means I throw things wide, open, and I set you free. Right? Days of limitation are over. I declare it. Right? I'll share some testimonies in a moment about our trip. But I declare unto you, your days of restriction and restriction are over. Salvation has come to your house. Right? But let me just say this, listen carefully. What's the order of this? Station. Stand. See. You're not going to see anything if you're not stationed and standing. The two previous requirements are necessary preconditions for the third. You will access this. And I demand of you, by the word of the Lord, that you station yourself. Set yourself this week. Don't, and, and don't lie down, but stand. Stand erect. 
Stand with the capacity that I will face this. I will endure. Right? I'm going to endure this. And then God says, you will see. Say ra'a. Tell your neighbor, it's time to ra'a. Okay. The word ra'a is not, just, it's not simply that you're going to be a witness of things. The word literally means to perceive with the mind. God is not just going to show you how powerfully He will come through for you. But He wants you to see beyond what you actually see into His orchestration, His ingenious manner in which He will do it. It's not just the thing that God wants you to see. He wants to unveil to you how He will do it. For in how He will do it, it will bring to you a greater revelation of who He is. And you stand back and say, wow, I don't just behold the doing of the Lord. I've observed the modus operandi of the Lord. I'm not just impressed by what he did, but how he did it has revealed to me his genius. You know, in this instance, you heard the, Sean read the, rest, the end of the story. The end of the story goes like this. We'll get through some of the other principles at our next session. But the, the story just says... There were three enemies, Moab, Ammon, and the people of Mount Seir, or the Edomites, descendants of Esau. Moab and Ammon decide to gang up against the people of Mount Seir. In fact, it says they all came from the land of Edom. Not so? Initially. It would seem like the, the instigation of this attack were the Edomites. It would seem from reading the scripture that the source of the attack came not from Ammon, not from Moab, but from Edom. And, but they formed this alliance and they attacked them. God worked it so that Moab and Edom gang up, Moab and Ammon gang up against people of Mount Seir and destroy them. When they are destroyed, like what the Bible says, Moab and Ammon helped fight each other. Isn't God a genius at his battle plans? <laughs> and God says, you don't have to fight this. And I like what the phrase, the battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. Tell your neighbor, don't own this battle. You see, some of us want to own battles. There's a battle is, I like, you know, the statement is simple. The battle is not yours. For me, when I read that, God said to me, don't own the battle. Because some of us want ownership of battles God never, ever wanted us to own. Nor become involved in. You know they say, this is my fight. What's your fight? What's your problem? No, I got none. Everything belongs to the Lord now. Eh? The battle is the Lord's. The battle is not mine. Do you know, when, when God used this word for Abram, when he said, Abram, look, north, south, east, west, Genesis 13, all the land that you see, I will give. When God said, station, stand, and see, same word ra'a is used. It means this carefully. Listen, this is very important for you. Assert the reality of its, of its fulfillment in your mind already. Please listen to me very carefully. Regard the thing as done even before it's actually done. When it says see, he's literally saying, what did he say to, to Abram? Look, 
north, south, east, west, all the land that you see I will give to you and to your descendants for forever. Where you are standing was in a valley. So God wasn't talking about things. Naturally, could not lift up his eyes and look north, south, east, west. He could not have a panoramic view of all the land that God was going to give him. So God was speaking to him that if you can comprehend it in the mind, I can give it to you. If you see it, you can have it. Tell your neighbor, if you can see it, the battle is yours. <laughs> Some of you are catching this. If you can perceive of it mentally, you will experience it practically. But you are not going to hold it or witness it, God doing it practically, if it's not a done deal, a secure thing within the mind. Amen? He who can envision it will experience it. So station yourself, stand, and see the Yeshua of the Lord. God's going to remove the threat of you being feeling claustrophobic. You're feeling crammed in a tight space. And you're saying, God, I need some freedom. I need some latitude. I need some expression. I need some alternatives from which to choose. Because right now my options are so limited. God, break open this thing wide. Everyone say, Yeshua. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Let me just give you one more, then we'll close. God said to them, we read, He said to to Jehoshaphat and Israel, Go and face them. (laughs) Tell your neighbor, it's time to face up to your challenges. eh? I know some of us, we don't like to face certain things. When you get those blue letters in the post, you don't even want to open those things. eh? (laughs) Okay. Just face up to it and confront it and deal with it. Amen? I want to encourage you all. This is a season for dealing with issues. Caleb, remember Caleb in the scripture? One of the, together with Joshua, the two spies that had a good report about the land. The ten spies said, we are like grasshoppers in our sight. Therefore, we are like grasshoppers in their sight. Only two guys said, no, we are well able. Let's go fight these giants. We are well able to go up, go in and possess the land. It was Joshua and Caleb. Caleb, the Bible says, had a different spirit, another spirit. And God says, I will surely give my servant Caleb the land that I promised him. Why? The Bible says, because he wholly followed the Lord. Three times it's used. He wholly followed the Lord. And brethren, I want to encourage you. If you're in financial debt, God will give you a strategy. If you're seeking for a removal of some, any, it doesn't have to be finance, any kind of restriction, cram kind of thing, you want promotion, you're feeling stuck in your workplace, and your ardent praise, God, bring deliverance. Some of your workplaces you might think are like Egypt, and your cry is, God, set me free. <laughs> Whatever your situation, okay? Please, you can't apply this to your marriage. Come and see me. I'll help you work it out. Right? You can't say, I want out of this marriage. It's too cramped. Right? You're not allowed for the, to use these principles for that. If there are issues, come and talk to us. We'll help you work through your issues. Amen? And your marriage will be safe. Amen? I'm just talking generally. I'm talking prophetically. And I want you to hear with the ear of the 
with the ear of the Spirit. What is God saying to you in and through this message? Um, it's not Caleb that means he is facing. It's his father's name that means he is facing. Caleb was the son of Jephunneh, it says. Jephunneh means he is facing. He is able to confront. He is able to um, approach things. So, he comes from a lineage. Caleb comes from a father that faces up to things. Hence, he has a son. He has no problem facing up to giants because that is the heritage from which he, from which he hails. Okay? So, he faces up to it. The name also means one who is cared for by the Lord. Jephunneh, one who is cared for by the Lord. And I want to encourage you. When you face problems, you know what your greatest asset is? Your greatest strength is your identity as a son. You are cared for by God the Father. Right? When Caleb goes to attack the enemy, he knows I come from a heritage which tells me that I am cared for by God. Tell you never God cares for you. And God will fight for you. Amen. God will care for you. God will fight for you. I want to say this again as we close. Your greatest strength in facing anything has got to be who you are in Him. You say, I am a son. I have a father. He will never abandon me. I can face anything of, that life throws against, at me because I am secure in my knowledge of God, secure in my position as son. I know He's my, he's my Father. I can't tell you how that just, those simple thoughts, even in the past few days, has been a source of great encouragement. Wake up every day, tell myself, I am a son of God. God is my Father. He will not permit anything to happen to me outside of His will. Nothing that comes against me I will be unable to deal with because my Father will empower me as His Son to engage. Amen? So now is not the time to run away. Just one more principle. Do you know what Joseph had said to the, after, Jehaz, after the prophet prophesied the strategy? Joseph had gets up to encourage the people. Remember this? Let me just read the text to get it on the screen. Um, he says this in chapter 20, verse 20. Tell your neighbor, never forget the 2020 principle. Tell your neighbor, 2020 vision. This is 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20. Chapter 20, verse 20. It's easy to remember. Never forget this. You see, the prophet spoke. The prophet spoke this strategy. Jehoshaphat's concern was that, hey, we, this, every, everything that he's just revealed could fall flat if the people don't come into this next principle, which is, let's read it, they arose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, so they're ready to engage all the principles, but he feels the need to encourage them. He said, listen to me, O Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Second, put your trust in His prophets, and you will succeed. Believe the Lord your God, King James. Believe the Lord your God, and you will be 
established. Believe also his prophets, his servants, um, his ministers, your spiritual father that speaks to you. Believe also him and you will surely succeed. Many people have no problems believing God, but when, they, when God speaks a suggestion, a directive, a word of advisement through the one he sends, people have a problem believing the sent one. You have to have both. Believe God and believe God's representation in your life. Believing God establishes you. Believing a sent one makes you prosperous. I want to say that again. Believing God establishes you. Yes, yeah, it says it very clearly. Believing he sent one will unveil to you keys for you to be successful. Keys for you to, to prosper. Not so? And I want to encourage you. Throughout the series, there's so much directives I've given. So much words of counsel from January up to now. May I encourage you as you face this week and you face every enemy. Believe God and so shall you will be established. Believe me, and you will prosper. It's simple. Amen? Because I don't speak as Randolph. I speak as a, a servant of the Lord. Amen? Tell you never believe God, and you will be established. Believe His servant, and you will prosper. Do you think God's word is lying? Do you think that this is not my suggestion? This is scripture. This is biblical. God's word will not return void, but it will accomplish everything that he has sent it out to do. And I'm here to encourage you. Amen. Two things are going to happen to you if you heed the principles in this teaching. Number one, you will be established. Everyone say firm. And number two, you will prosper. Right? Jehoshaphat found the need to encourage all of, his, all of, all of Judah. Guys, let's go into this with these two principles firmly in our hearts. Believing God and believing His servants. Believing God, believing His servants. Believing God, believing His servants. Do you know what, about what Paul the Apostle said? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, concerning the Macedonian church, it says these Macedonians gave themselves to the Lord and they gave themselves to us. To the Thessalonians, he says, you imitated the Lord and you imitated us. God always works through his servants. God always works through his servants. Believe God, established. Believe his servants, prosper. Twofold things. So I speak firmness. There's a verse of scripture. Let me just give it to you as we close. Take it down. Don't turn to it because of time. It's Isaiah 7 and verse 9b. The last part of verse 9 says this. If you're not firm in faith, this is the ESV. Let's read it from the NASB. If the last part, if you will not believe, surely you will not last. Listen to me. Tell your neighbor, believe God. Believe his servants. This verse says, if you will not believe God and believe his servants, you will not last. I like the ESV um, framing of this. It says the following. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. So you've got to have faith and belief in God and in the ones that God has sent to deliver His, His Word. Do you remember what did Jesus say to Jerusalem that kills the prophets? So you either do one thing to prophets. You hear their word or you kill them. 
Every prophet that came to Jerusalem, Jerusalem kills. And what did he say to those that kill the prophets? We'll end with this one. Tell your neighbor he's definitely ending with this one. Last one. You know they say one for the road? This is one for the road, okay? Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, verse 34. Oh, Jerusalem. This is the cry. When you repeat a name twice. It's not one. Oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. He's, he's weeping and wailing over the city. He says this to them. You that kill the prophets and stone the ones that are sent to her. How often? Everyone say, how often? It indicates the relentless pursuit of God towards a people that consistently reject His ways. He says, how often I would have loved to gather you. Like children too, together. Just as hen, a hen gathers a brood under her wings. But listen to the statement. He says, but you would not have none of it. I wanted to, but you did not want to. I wanted to. And you know, everyone say under the wings. Right? He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my strength, my refuge, my God, in whom I, I trust. Under the wings or under the shadow is a place of preservation, a place of protection, a place of provision. Jesus weeps over a whole city. He says, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. I, I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers chicks under her wings, but you would have none of it. And how do you demonstrate the fact that you would have none of it? I wanted to, but in killing my prophets, you rejected me. I wanted to, so I sent my servants to speak to you. You kill them, you reject me. Believe God and believe His prophets. Believe God, you will be established. Believe His prophets and you will be successful. Now the question is, ask your neighbor, do you want it? Young man, do you want it? Jesus said, but you would not have it. The question is, what do you want? There's protocol in God. There's principles in God that get certain results. Ignore the principles, abort the result. It's very, very simple. So what does he say to redeem the situation? Look at the next verse. Verse 35. What's the answer that Jesus gives to the city? Behold, your house is left to you, desolate, which is bereft, impoverished, open to demonic attack, defenseless, not protected. So I say to you, you will not see me again until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name or the nature of the Lord. What is Jesus saying to the city? You reject me by killing the ones I sent. No problem. He's saying no problem. I wanted to gather you, but you don't want it. So, the only thing that's going to turn the situation around, the Lord is saying, so if ever you want to see my face again, Jerusalem, it's simple. You will never see my face again. And your house, your experience, your home, um, your life will always be less, it will be substandard to what I've ordained until you can say to the one that I send, you are blessed, you, who comes in the name of the Lord. 
a representative of the Lord himself. I believe, listen to me very carefully, church, Jehoshaphat has got this principle in his mind because he knows it's going to be very foolish to some of my men to put in singers in front of the army and let singers go to war against these three enemies. That was the strategy. It's not going to make sense. Your experience in warfare, you men of war, those who fought before, your experience, your expertise, your humanistic mind is going to go against what is being revealed as a strategy. So he finds the need to say, believe God and you will be established. Believe the prophetic directive because he knows this, this suggestion seems the most irresponsible battle strategy in human history. You come in against Moab, Ammon, and Mount Seir, and you want to put a guy with a violin at first in line to go and attack. And the battle is, let them go and say, they must all just sing, for the Lord is good, and His mercy is endure for. Even the Bible says, as they sang, the Lord sent, amb- sent confused confusion in the enemy ranks. Moab and Ammon kill Mount Seir. When they finish with that, they help kill each, each other. Do you know, sometimes the view of God or the, the principles God shares with you does not make rational sense sometimes. But you simply have to bring your life to obey it. I don't know why God has set this as, as a principle in His Word. Believe Him, you'll be established. Believe His prophets, you will su- succeed. I'm not going to try and rationalize that. I'm simply going to believe it and get the results. You're either going to fight this one on your own or you're going to allow the Lord to fight it in and in and through you. Amen? So I pray this week, approach the week with great soberness. Say, God, I might be beset by the perfect, complete, substantial enemy, three-pronged enemy. I will fast to take my gaze off them. I will redirect my attention squarely upon you. As I focus upon you, my enemy diminishes in strength. Because as you are amplified, so you will dwarf the strength of my enemy. I will station myself. I will stand upright. And I will perceive in my mind, I will comprehend mentally, in the mind of my spirit, the fullest extent of what you plan to work in and through my life. As you reveal strategy and principles to me from your word, I will believe you. For the verse says, if I'm not firm in faith, I will not be firm at all. I have to believe God. Right? I have to simply believe God. Paul said on the boat, been rocked by you, rocked And Remember what did he say? Men, I believe God. I believe God. And I will be established. I will believe he sent ones. Those who come to me in the name of the Lord to reveal strategy. And so I will prosper. Amen. What the enemy has planned against you will not work. Amen. It's time to remove the crampness from your life. It's time to remove the restriction. It's time to remove the enclosed environment. Because God wants to bring freedom um, to all of us in a very, very significant way. Amen? Let's bow in prayer. Father, we pray 
as we submit our lives to you, there are times when an enemy would come up against us. There are times when we don't know what to do, but our eyes will always be on you. We commit to looking to you, the author and the finisher of faith. Turn our eyes upon you, looking unto Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. As we look to you, we look to your strength. Father, we look to your ability. I pray that whatever anybody is facing now that seems so insurmountable, that the revelation of you would give them proper sight of their problem. Diminish the problem in its strength, in its intensity, as we gaze upon you, you will give us strategy. We are determined to face this enemy. We will not shrink back and run away. We will face it, confront it, and deal with it. This week, as we set our sail, you take our eyes off the situation and deliberately cast our attention to you. This week, Father, we, we ask you for strategy. We ask you for battle plans. Whatever you say, we will believe it. We will believe both you and your servants that you sent to us. We will always say, blessed are those who come in your name. So, Father, we ask that great breakthrough would attend every single household. I ask, O oh God, that the enemy's plans against us will not succeed. We know that from your word, we are absolutely confident. Our confidence lies in this, that we are your sons and that you are our Father. And surely, we are indeed cared for by you. Nothing untoward. Nothing planned by the enemy will be successful against us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.